Hi, everybody. Welcome to the special focus meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, 100 Pounders. It is Wednesday, January the 25th. So I am delighted today to um, introduce a lovely friend of mine, Denise B. She came to OA in March 2012, got abstinent July 21st, 2012. She's originally from Cork and now lives in Dublin in Ireland. So Denise, I'm going to hand it over to you to share your experience, strength and hope. Take it away, my love. Oh, thanks, Rita. Hi, everybody. It's lovely to see you all. I am Denise B. I'm a recovery compulsive overeater by the grace of God and the fellowship of OA. And, uh, and you are my tribe. I am absolutely and utterly a hundred pounder. Um, but as I tell you a little bit of my story, you'll also hear a lot about restriction. I um, was also a severe restrictor, not eating for days on end etc etc and at some point in my journey with food the restrictor button broke stopped working nope wasn't going to happen again no diets and the weight just piled on and on and on and uh, by the grace of God as Rita said I've been abstinent now over 10 years and that doesn't mean that my life is perfect and it doesn't mean my life has hasn't has been perfect in recovery that's certainly not the case but I am a compulsive overeater, whether I am eating or not. I am a compulsive overeater, whether I am in the rooms of OA or not. I am a compulsive overeater, whether I am in recovery or not. And the life I choose to live today is the life of the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. It is the only thing that has worked for me and has given me my life back. I will caveat that by saying um, I got abstinent through the big book of AA. I'm not in any other fellowship. I am an OAer. But that's the way I was brought through the steps um, in OA. And I suppose one thing I would like to say is that's not the only way in OA. The OA literature works just as well for other people. It's the way that I was taught. It's the way that I sponsor. And it's the way that I live my program today. Um, just to qualify, I came into the rooms. I'd stopped weighing myself at about 23 stone, which for those in metric, it's about 142 kilos, about 330 pounds, but I was well over that when I came into the rooms. Um, I was not stepping on a scale and I certainly wasn't allowing you to photograph me or look at me or, you know, that was my life. My life was one of complete and utter isolation, devastation. My body was physically breaking down. And I had gotten to the stage when I came into the rooms uh, of being quite low, suicidal, not wanting to be in this world, praying every night when I went to bed that I wouldn't wake up and eating every morning when I did wake up to get through the next day. I don't remember a time, to be honest, where food wasn't part of my life. Um, I grew up in a family where my parents are amazing people who did the best they could, but there was a lot of uncertainty in our home. And from a very, very young age, I associated food with security. And if I was eating, everything was quiet. Everything slowed down. And for those seconds, I could escape. And thus began my love affair with food. Because, and to this day, I have to be honest with you, apart from the fellowship, my higher power and the program, I still have not found something that can instantly give me that same relief that food gave me. You know, that absolute hit in the moment, that effect of everything is quiet. And that was the way I lived my life. You know, um, if I was troubled, if I needed to escape, I was the quintessential child who hid food, who stole for food, 
who ate in secret. Most of my eating was done in secret, to be honest, all through my life. But as a child, there's only so much food that comes into the house. And that was the way it was. It was very, very controlled. I also come from a long line of compulsive overeaters. My grandmother, for any of you that have heard my story, was a, a matriarch, uh, one uh, reared 11 children. My mom's one of 11, a good Catholic uh, house. And my grandmother was morbidly, morbidly obese, died in her early 70s with the legs rotting off her from diabetes, unable to stop eating, congestive heart failure. And here was this woman that I absolutely adored. I was in my late teens at the time. And while she was dying in bed, I was in the kitchen of her house stuffing my face. And here I was seeing everything in front of me that my life had become, but I still was absolutely powerless to stop myself. And every Monday would come around and it was this time it'll be different. And every diet was going to be the one. And every diet was the one because I always lost weight on the diets. But the problem was the minute I put food back into my mouth, my alcoholic foods back into my mouth. I didn't know then that that's what it was. I was off to the races. You know, I was absolutely off to the races. And every time I dieted and restricted and lost a lot of weight, I put on the same and more, you know, and, and that was my life. If I was slim, you saw me at every event. I was the life and soul of the party. I was up there. Karaoke was my best friend. I could throw moves on the dance floor. I'll tell you why MCA wasn't anything on me. And if I was overweight, you did not see me. I was at home with the blinds closed, the phone off in the corner, stuffing my face. And that's how I lived my life. I let everybody down in my life because I would promise to be at every event. And depending on how I felt about myself and my self-worth, I either showed up or I didn't. You could never rely on me. You know, I stole, I cheated, I lied, I was dishonest, I was disloyal. You could not depend on me. And that is what addiction made me as a person, you know, and I was powerless over it. Because in that moment, if you said to me, Denise, will you be at such and such on Saturday? When I would say yes, I would really believe with all my heart that I was going to be there. I would believe it. And then the food would come and the food was always stronger than any promise I could make, any promise I could make. I'm not going to talk for the singleness of this meeting around the restriction piece, but suffice to say it took me to the brink, you know, and, and I went down under seven stone in my severe restricting space. I'm really going to focus on the special focus of this meeting, which was the, the hundred pounders. So what happened for me was. I was at uni, I had my own money and then started working. And all of a sudden when I was working, I had money so I could buy food and I could hide food and I lived on my own and I could have food in the car and I could have food in the house and I didn't have people looking over my shoulder. And, and I did it all, you know, I, I remember, I mean, you know, we've all got the stories, you know, the embarrassing moments of in the drive through pretending I was on the phone going, I was single at the time, bear in mind. Right. And I was like, yeah, darling, what would you like? Yeah, of course. And the next thing, the phone rings like and you're one inside that, you know, as if I was the center of the universe, like she cared what I was ordering. But for me, the shame, the shame and the fact that I couldn't stop. And 
I used to watch, you know, the big book talks about others can do with impunity. I used to watch my friends and I used to think, how do they have the blueprint? Like, how do they know how to do this life thing? And how do they leave stuff on the plate? It took me nearly five years in recovery to figure out that they leave stuff on the plate because they're not like me. They don't want it. They're not sitting there going, oh, I must leave it. I must leave it. I must leave it. That's just me. I'm the addict. They get to the point of being full and they've no interest in it. You know, I really didn't understand that. Really didn't understand that. Um, and at my way up to, like I said, you know, size 26, uh, not weighing, couldn't move, couldn't walk really, couldn't tie my own shoelaces. I was newly wed. So I had severely restricted to get into the infamous wedding dress and then went on honeymoon. And I can tell you now, my poor ex-husband now, and still great friends, let me be very clear about that. Um, the, the bride he married was not the bride he brought home on off honeymoon after five weeks, okay? That's the only way to describe it. And that is the honest truth. I mean, I put up weight and it just shot up because again, volume is my thing. You know, give me more, give me more, give me more. And there is no such thing. Like one is too much and a thousand isn't enough. That is my reality. I am an absolute food addict of the chronic variety, the chronic variety. And, um, and you know, there's nothing, there is nothing dignified about having to ask your, your husband to tie your shoelaces because you cannot reach them. There's nothing dignified in that. There's nothing dignified in being in the shower and not being able to wash yourself properly. There's nothing dignified in the terror of getting on planes and being afraid that I was going to have to ask for the extension or that I wouldn't be able to fit into the seat. But that was my reality. And that is how I lived on a daily basis. You know, feeling like I was less than, feeling like I was not good enough. I was just stupid. I was an awful person, you know, because I couldn't control this. And the reality is the big book talks about the fact that in every other part of our lives, we can actually be very successful. But when it comes to this one thing, we carry the shame and the guilt because we cannot control it. And that was me. That was absolutely me. When it came to food, I just I could not control and manage my food. I could not do it. And I had tried everything and I was beaten. I was absolutely beaten. And there's a line in, in the chapter, We Agnostics on page 44. And they're the two questions you have to ask yourself. You know, if when you honestly want to, you cannot quit entirely. Or if when drinking, in my case, eating, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic or probably compulsive overeater. Now, I didn't know there was even such a thing as, as food addiction or compulsive overeating. I really didn't. But my life was going down the tube, you know, and I was absolutely miserable. And how I ended up in the rooms, actually, was a friend of mine who was in AA said to me one day, very courageously, um, I think you've got a problem with addiction. To which I replied, no, I don't have any problem. Like wine goes off in my fridge. I'm throwing it down the sink. I have no problem with addiction. And he said to me, I'm not talking about the drink, honey. He said, I'm talking about the food. Well, firstly, in my head, I wanted to tear him upside down and inside out and throw him out the window because here was somebody for the first time really, really shining a light on what might be going on in my life. Because I was the person, I mean, the delusion 
I was the person who'd go out with you for dinner and chase a lettuce leaf around the plate and then tell you that I could not understand how I'd put on all this weight could not understand it and wanted you to say I don't understand it either you never eat in front of me but sure they never saw the volumes I was putting into myself so anyway whatever happened there and then and I look back now and I think it was a moment of grace something stuck something stuck and he told me about OA and I rang up. I was um, living down in Cork at the time. Now I've done all the geographical moves, let me tell you through addiction, lived in Asia, lived in America, lived in Europe, did it all. And it never changed anything because I brought myself with me, unfortunately. But anyway, decided I was going to ring the number back in the day, you know, you rang and everybody had the mobile and they were swapping it around. And I realized there was a meeting taking place two nights later. So I plucked up all the courage I could to arrive at the meeting. And this is why I am absolutely militant about helping the newcomer. And nobody showed up to that meeting. And I stood outside that door for 30 minutes and nobody came to that meeting. And I went away that night and I don't know. And still to this day, I don't know. But everything in me should have said effort. I tried and I'm done. But I didn't. For some reason, something else happened. And I picked up the phone again. And I think it was desperation, guys. I think it was pure desperation. I rang another, the same number and a different member happened to have it. And she said, I'll meet you. She said, there's a meeting tomorrow night. I'll meet you and I'll take you to the meeting. And I did. And I walked in and I really thought you were going to teach me how I could eat everything I wanted and not have any consequences because that's what I wanted to do. And by the way, left to my own devices, even today, that's what I want to do. I want to eat everything I want to eat and have none of the consequences. OK, because that's the illness I suffer from. And I went in and they didn't do that. And they all started hugging each other. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I arrived into? But I heard some things that night that really stuck. Firstly, they were genuinely happy. There was all shapes and sizes. They told me to keep coming back and they told me not to quit before the miracle happened. And I thought, OK, I can maybe try this thing. And I went to what became my home group for quite a substantial amount of time. And I got I got abstinent in that home group or what I call food sober in that home group. And, uh, and I got a sponsor there. And five weeks in, I went on a big book retreat. Now, I didn't have a clue what they were talking about, but I sat my bum on the seat and I shut my mouth and I listened. And I would love to tell you that I hit rock bottom before I came into the rooms. I didn't. I actually hit my rock bottom in the rooms. I went on the worst bender I'd ever gone on with food. I ate for 24 hours solid. I climbed up the stairs on my hands and knees in an absolute coma. And I rang my sponsor after that and said, I'm done. I'm absolutely beaten. And some of you have heard my story and I'm very open about it. I drove down to the meeting that Sunday morning and I, I just wanted to end it. And I was thinking as I drove down, well, if I drive my car off the road and I have an accident and, and that's it, then nobody can say for definite that actually I did this of my own hand and it would make it easier on my family. And the only reason I didn't do it, it seems funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time, is I love cars and I was driving a really nice car and I could not bring myself to total my car. I actually thought more about my car than I did about my own life. 
But I went down and I met with my sponsor and three days later, by the grace of God, I was given the gift of abstinence. And I don't know why I was given that gift. But what I was told is I may be powerless, but I'm not helpless. And I've held that ever since. I got my ass in gear and I worked the steps through the big book of AA. And I, I did work them like my hair was on fire for no other reason than two things. One, my ego wants me to be the best student in the world. So you know the way when it says in step seven that God uses our character defects to help others? Well, I'll tell you, my defect of my ego helped me hugely because if my sponsor said do X, Y, and Z, I was going to do X, Y, Z and A, B, C because I wanted to be the best sponsee in the world that she'd ever had. And I wanted to show up with everything done. And it worked for me because it got me through. And then the momentum started. And also as well, I had a lot of spare time because now I wasn't eating. And if you were going to take away my food, you better give me something to fill that time with. Because otherwise I am pacing the floor, I'm climbing the walls. So I worked the steps, not even knowing whether they were going to work, really, to be honest. Um, went through the big book. And I, I do remember distinctly at one point going, oh, you know, I don't think this is going to work for me. And how would it work for me? And da, 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 da. And I remember at the time, an old timer, old, old timer saying to me, oh, yeah, so like it's worked for 7 million people around the world. But you think, Denise, you're going to be the really special one that it's not going to work for if you thoroughly follow the path. And I thought, OK, that's fair enough. Again, let's knock the ego. And I did have a spiritual awakening. Now, my spiritual awakening came halfway through step nine. And the promises did come true for me halfway through step nine. And I have to be honest, I was not somebody that had a profound experience in step four. I was not somebody that had a profound experience in step seven. I know plenty of people that have, and I'm so grateful today I get to witness my sponsees have profound experiences in different steps. I didn't. Halfway through my step nine, which is where the first of those promises come in, that is when I got to experience a profound spiritual awakening that happened for me. And from then to now, I have had no desire to pick up my alcoholic foods. None whatsoever. I have complete and utter neutrality around them. Now, I'm also very honest when I say I still do not have neutrality around volume. And I think that's important for me to acknowledge that has still not been removed from me. I will still have days where I want to overeat on my abstinent foods, where I want to eat lots more than what's on my plate, you know, and that is part of my journey, you know, but I take great comfort in the fact that Dr. Bob for years and years and years had compulsions to drink and he just didn't. So I'm okay with that. If that's the best that it gets for me, you know what? I'm okay with that. What do I do today? I live in 10, 11, and 12 to the best of my ability. Some days are better than others. Some days I am really, really angry that I have this illness. You know, it is not all nirvana. Through my years in recovery, I have lost jobs. I've lost houses. I've lost my marriage. You know, I, there's been ups and downs. There's been profound changes in my life, but I haven't had to eat over it the way that I would have in the past. But there are days that I am angry that I have this illness, that, that you know, I have to work so hard at living. You know, that is my reality, but I do live in it. 
I live in step 10. I know what to do if I'm in trouble. And I have today an amazing relationship with my higher power when I show up and do the work. Because God, and I call my higher power God, God never moves away from me, guys. God never moves away from me. But by goodness, do I move away from God. Some days God is so close to me that we are extremely intimate. Other days, honestly, I couldn't see him on the horizon, you know, but I have learned that even on the days that I don't feel like it, I still need to get up. I still need to do my prayers. I still need to do my meditation and I still need to show up. And that's the difference between powerless and helpless. I'm not helpless to take the action. You know, we've all heard the stories in the rooms. You know, we've all heard the sayings. You know, there is a reason why it's into action. You know, this is a, not a program for those who want it or need it. It's a program for those who want it. More importantly, it's a program for those who do it. The greatest gift in my life today is the gift of sponsorship and fellowship. I have the most amazing sponsees who keep me right and keep me well, actually, because they give me the gift of sharing their journey with me. Service has definitely kept me well in the times where I've really struggled in myself. But above all else, it is for me personally about the enlarging my spiritual life. It is about the conscious contact with my higher power. It's about practicing the principles in all of my affairs. And like I said, there are days I don't want to do that. But if I don't do that, I am very, very close to that compulsive bite. Because like I said, whether I'm eating or not, I am a compulsive overeater. You know, that is just my reality. I can't even begin to describe the gifts that recovery have, has given me. Um, I make commitments now and I follow through. I have real friendships today, you know, because I don't flake out on you. You know, I have a relationship today with my father that I never thought possible. I mean, I didn't speak to that man a lot of the time when I was growing up. And today, you know, even as late as yesterday, I can get off the phone and I can tell him I love him and I can genuinely mean it, you know. I can hold my head up high and there's nobody in this world today that I need to be scared of meeting because I have made an amends. And when I do something wrong, I continue to make amends. You know, um, as Chuck C says, for any of you that know Chuck C, you know, a new pair of glasses, I try to give for fun and for free. And we are not a glum lot. You know, I have learned through recovery, actually, what it's like to really laugh. And I mean, belly laugh. And usually it's belly laughing at myself you know, because of my insanity in my head, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Denise, if you wrote a book, it would have to be a bestseller because like, here goes the ego again. But I do think it would be because I think the insanity in my head would make a brilliant fantasy story, you know? Harry Potter wouldn't be in it with me. But again, I've learned how to laugh and not take myself so seriously. And on the days that I do take myself seriously, I have a God squad that I can reach out to. And some of them are on this meeting today and I can be honest with them the gift of being honest with somebody telling them the worst of me and then repeating back to me saying yeah I get it I understand I know what you're going through I know what you're thinking gosh I only did that last week so today there's no shame because I have people that really really get me they're just like me the normal people in my life are never going to get me and I've stopped even trying to, to convince them, you know, because I don't need them to. All I need to do is have love and tolerance. So 
you know, the miracle has happened for me. It continues to happen for me. I, you know, I was sharing, I've had to surrender a lot more throughout the 10 years than I ever thought I would have to. And that journey continues. But the more I surrender, the closer I get to being really authentic with myself. Underpinning it all is my relationship with my higher power, surrounded by my God squad and fellowship. And on top of everything is the big book of AA, because that outlines in its entirety what I need to do to stay well, you know, and without that, I have nothing because without that left to my own devices, I am a liar. I am a cheat and I am a thief. I am an addict who is powerless over the food and powerless over people, places and things. And in this program, I get to live a life beyond my wildest dreams. I get to trudge the road, a happy destiny, and I get to be a valuable member of society as long as I walk hand in hand with my higher power and do what I'm directed to do. And like I said, I'm no saint. I don't really want to be a saint. I thought actually Saint Denise would sound good once upon a time. That's the Catholic upbringing, but I don't think it's going to happen in this lifetime, guys. But um, yeah, and that's me, you know. So from the girl who crawled her way into the rooms of OA, morbidly, morbidly obese, dying, you know, to the girl who's here today, um, I'm just really, really grateful that I found my tribe because my tribe is you and that's never going to change. So thank you all for listening to me. And I really hope the miracles continue to happen for you all. Thanks, Rita. Oh, Denise, thank you so much for the message of depth and weight. I'm just going to read page 153 from A Vision for You in the AA Big Book. <clears throat> Excuse me. It may seem incredible that these men and women are to become happy respected and useful once more. How can they rise out of such misery, bad repute and hopelessness? The practical answer is that since these things have happened among us, they can happen with you, should you wish them above all else and be willing to make use of our experience, we are sure they will come. The age of miracles is still with us. Our own recovery proves that. 